Is Jesus Christ coming again at any moment? Is the rapture of the church something that is biblical and true, or is it just wishful thinking? Is it Christian fiction or biblical fact? Hey, does the church go through the tribulation, or are we rescued from the great day of God's wrath from the time of Jacob's trouble? This is Real Truth for today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. From His Heart is heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Well, we want to talk today about the rapture, the subject of the rapture. And we have a special guest with us today, and that is my good friend, Dr. Ed Heinsen. Dr. Heinsen is the host and the Bible teacher of the King is Coming television program. He is Dean Emeritus of the School of Divinity and the Distinguished Professor of Religion at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Dr. Heinsen is an active conference speaker, a prolific writer with over 40 books to his credit, and one of the <clears throat> foremost experts on biblical prophecy. One of the great things about Dr. Heinsen is although he is very, very smart, he is able to communicate difficult material in a way that the common everyday guy can understand uh, what, it's, what the Bible says, can understand uh, what these deep-thinking theologians are trying to say. So, Dr. Ed, welcome to the broadcast today. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be with you, and an exciting topic to talk yes. about, especially in this time. Well, Dr. Heinz and I hold in my hands a book that you and Mark Hitchcock wrote, Can We Still Believe in the Rapture? Now, question mark. Uh, there's a lot in that question, and uh, why did you title the book that? Well, because of the challenge that some people are raising about can we really believe in the teaching of a pre-tribulational rapture? Now, obviously, the Bible says there has to be a time when the dead in Christ are raised and we that are alive and remain are caught up uh, to meet the Lord in the air. So there has to be a rapture. The question is, when is it? Uh, is it before the tribulation, during, after, before the millennium, after the millennium, or, or at the end of time? You have to put it someplace. But uh, there are people today saying, well, I think the rapture is a fairly new idea. The word rapture is not even in the Bible. Uh, why do we believe this, etc.? And so that's why we titled it, Can We Still Believe in the Rapture? Of course, our position is, yes, we believe we can. Now, the the idea of the rapture, I was in college in the early 80s at the University of Texas, a brand new Christian. I got saved when I was a senior in high school, and I was introduced to the concept of the rapture. It seems like that teaching was really, really popular uh, at that time, and then when your friend Tim LaHaye and, and uh, Jerry Jenkins wrote the, the those books, uh, the Left Behind series, everybody seemed to be talking about that, uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Why do you think that has th those theological winds have shifted? I think the popular impact of the Left Behind uh, books caused people who did not hold to a pre-trib rapture to feel like, well, we've got to react against it and make our statement here. 
uh, in basically Reformed theological circles, uh, they have never been favorable toward a pre-tribulational rapture. And so with the growing influence of Reformed theology, especially in Baptist circles recently, uh, there has been a tendency to shift away from it uh, because uh, if you buy into the soteriology of the Reform movement, then the tendency is to say, well, if they're right on salvation, maybe they're right on the Second Coming, uh, and uh, most people in the Reform movement are either amillennial or post-millennial. Uh, they either believe the millennium is not literal, it's figurative, and we're already in it, uh, or we have to bring in the millennium uh, by bringing Christian influence to bear on society, etc. So you have different approaches and views as to how does our view of the coming of Christ uh, impact ministry? How does it impact our methodology uh, of influencing the world in which we live today? And so I think it's important for people who say, yeah, I still believe there's going to be a rapture to understand uh, the importance of that teaching and the fact, historically, that it has been around for a lot longer than people give it credit. Dr. Heinzen, when, when we use the term Reformed theology, uh, can you explain to our listeners what exactly that means? Basically, it's a high view of the Reformation period from uh, Luther and Calvin, uh, so back in the 16th century, uh, and the emphasis usually in Reformed theology uh, puts a strong emphasis on God's electing grace to call people to faith, uh, and uh, as a result, there is an overarching scheme uh, or viewpoint uh, that uh, says the emphasis on the kingdom of God in the New Testament uh, is spiritual in nature, and it is equated with the Church Age, so they're not looking for a literal earthly kingdom in the future, uh, when Jesus would return and set up his kingdom on earth. Now, they do believe he will return, uh, but uh, uh, not to set up a literal kingdom, where those of us that hold to a premillennial view believe Jesus has to return first, in order for us to get a literal kingdom on earth. Uh, and uh, anyway, that's all part of that discussion that goes on there uh, in relation to the rapture. Uh, the idea that, you know, the word rapture is not in the Bible, well, the word Bible is not in the Bible. Uh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word Sunday is not in the Bible. Concepts are taught in the Bible, whether or not the English word is there. Uh, the rapture term... Uh, is usually translated in English, caught up, caught away. And that's the idea of the rapture, uh, where Jesus said, I'll come like a thief in the night, uh, snatch the bride away instantly, uh, and take her home to the Father's house. Uh, the question is, when and how will that actually occur? Well, doc, Dr. Heinzen, let me ask you this. When it comes to Calvin and Luther, and Calvin wrote extensively, um, and I was—I just learned not too long ago that he—he he had a commentary in every book of the Bible except the Book of the Revelation. Uh, wh where do they 
stand on on their eschatology? Well, I, during that period of time, uh, during the Reformation, uh, they were convinced the Pope, the Catholic Pope, was the Antichrist, and that they were already in a kind of end times battle and conflict with uh, the forces of Babylon and evil, which they identified with the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so you have that going on in their thinking, uh, and then uh, the idea that uh, they are to try to, in one way or another, bring in the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, that's more like setting up a theocracy in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, or later Kuiper's influence in Amsterdam, really, uh, to which I would say, well, take a good look at Geneva and Amsterdam today and ask yourself, uh, is that bringing in the kingdom of God on earth? Not at all. Both of those cities are extremely secularized today. Uh, that uh, you don't get a literal kingdom on earth until the king returns, uh, and that's more the premillennial view. Now, good Christian people can differ on how they understand the coming of Christ. I think the important thing is to understand that he is coming. Uh, and ultimately, uh, we have a hope and a promise. We're looking for the blessed hope uh, and glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, so that from a biblical standpoint, the biblical Christian uh, has hope in this life because of our salvation experience with Christ, but we have hope for the future and eternity uh, because the one who gives us eternal life is coming again. Uh, and there are stages of that in the New Testament that are very clear. Uh, <clears throat> the rapture is followed by taking the bride to the Father's house, to the judgment seat of Christ to receive your rewards, uh, to the marriage of the Lamb, which is clearly in heaven. So you have to go up to heaven to go to the judgment seat, have to go up to heaven to go to the marriage, and then from the marriage, the bride of Christ returns with Christ in Revelation 19, uh, and we come back with him uh, to his triumphal return, uh, not to help him fight the battle of Armageddon, just to cheer him on. Uh, that uh, he comes back and speaks the word. He doesn't need our help uh, and uh, conquers the Antichrist. Uh, and the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Satan is bound in the abyss. Jesus rules on earth for a thousand years of peace and prosperity. Now, again, <clears throat> I think Revelation makes that very clear in our millennial thinking and much of reform thinking, the idea is, well, we're already in the kingdom, Satan is already bound uh, by the power of the cross, uh, to which my response would be, really? Uh, then why did Jesus' own brother, James, uh, say, resist the devil, and he will flee from you? And James is writing that to believers. Uh, so I think James understands, no, Satan's alive and well still, He's not yet bound in the sense that Revelation 20 describes that. And Peter said, Satan wanders about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So there's real conflict uh, between the forces of God and Satan and evil uh, that's still ongoing at this time. 
uh, and our impact of the gospel uh, is to call people to faith uh, and to see them snatched out of the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of Christ. Dr. Ed, if you are an amillennialist, which means you don't believe that there is a coming millennial kingdom, um, would that how, how does that wash with the promises God has made to Israel? Do you also have to be a, a replacement uh, person if, you if you're going have to believe? To be, yeah. You wouldn't have to be, but most are. Uh, so most amillennialists would say the church is the new Israel. Uh, and they're the Israel of God today. So Israel as a nation failed, came under the judgment of God. God has taken the promises to Israel and given them to the church. Uh, and the church then is to be the kingdom of God on earth during this time. Now, Dr. Ed, in, in your book, can we still believe in the rapture? You have a chapter entitled, Is the Rapture Imminent? Uh, in a nutshell, how would you answer that question? I think it is. I think there are certain things prophetically that could happen uh, before the rapture, but there's nothing that must happen before the rapture could take place. So we're left with admonitions of keep watching, keep waiting, keep looking, pray that you escape, etc. Uh, all of these things would be irrelevant uh, if it were not possible for the rapture to occur potentially uh, at any time. Uh, in other words, uh, we're looking for uh, the coming of Christ to rapture the church home to heaven. Uh, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the tribulation period. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why it's called the Blessed Hope, because that gives hope to the Christian. As Paul told the Thessalonians, therefore comfort one another with these words. And the words he's referring to are the words of the rapture that are talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Well, we're talking to a Bible prophecy expert, Dr. Ed Heinsohn. And Dr. Ed Heinsohn is the host of the King is Coming radio or, or television program, um, seen on Daystar and other outlets, and uh, he is a dear friend and one of the foremost authorities on Bible prophecy. So this is a uh, discussion that will help you grow in your Christian faith. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to Real Truth for today. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. 
Here's Pastor Jeff Shree with From His Heart Ministries. How many people come to church and they're chained to a bitter spirit and all sorts of problems chained to greed and selfishness? Even when they want to break free, they can't seem to break free. Worship Him and praise Him and let Him remove the chains. Learn to break the chains forever through Christ. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart, weeknights at 6 Central, here on American Family Radio. Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, Delighting in God's Plan for Gender and Sexuality is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where is the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. Welcome back to Real Truth for today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. And uh, it was nice to hear that little plug for... uh, uh, from His Heart Ministries, heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Well, Jesus said these words to the disciples on the, the night that he was betrayed. This is just hours before Judas is going to meet him in the garden. He had told the disciples that he was going away. He told them that uh, one of them would betray him. He had told them that they would all desert him and forsake him. And then he says to them, their hearts are broken and they're in shock with all this material. And then he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We're talking about the rapture of the Bride of Christ, the Rapture of the Church, and my special guest is Dr. Ed Heinsen, one of the foremost authorities on Bible prophecy. Uh, Dr. Ed, John 14, 1 through 3. Some will say, well, but he's not talking about the Rapture. If he's not talking about the Rapture, what is he talking about? Yeah, well, that's, I think, the ultimate question. Uh, Judas has already left the room. That's significant. The unbeliever is gone. He turns to the 11 believing disciples, and seven times he uses the pronoun you. Uh, I'm coming back for you. I'll take you to the Father's house, for I am there. You may be also, etc. That there is something unique that he has in the plan for the believer, uh, and the promise is 
to take them to the Father's house. Uh, and the idea is uh, to the marriage uh, with Christ. Uh, now, the marriage is symbolic, of course, of our union with Christ, uh, but the audience of those Jewish Christian disciples, they would have understood what Jesus was saying uh, in the context of a first-century Jewish wedding. Uh, the bridegroom uh, and the bride would be betrothed to one another in a binding relationship, and then the groom would leave, go back to his father's house, add a room onto the house for he and the bride to live in. Uh, and if he was wealthy, maybe several rooms, etc. She would remain at her home. And then eventually, when the rooms were completed, the father would authorize the groom to go get the bride, uh, and he could potentially show up at any time to claim the bride and take the bride home to the father's house. Um, when you put that analogy with what he is saying, it becomes pretty obvious that it's about the rapture that he's going to return uh, on the authorization of the Father uh, to get the bride, take the bride to the Father's house, uh, and uh, consummate the marriage uh, in heaven. The Father's house, of course, is heaven. Uh, and so when you look at that entire passage, and you put it with the other promises about what's coming in the future. Uh, I also have a new book called Future Glory, uh, published by Harvest House. Uh, in which I go through seven prophetic promises that God has made for every believer. Uh, every believer is going to go up in the rapture, no matter when you think the timing of it is. Uh, you're going to go to the Father's house, uh, to the judgment seat of Christ, to receive the rewards for what we've done in the body uh, here on earth, uh, that God is keeping a record book and will reward our faithful service. Then we go to the marriage which is clearly in heaven, where the Bride of Christ in Revelation 19 receives the white robe, uh, the symbol of righteousness, and then those in the white robes march out of heaven in the triumphal return with Christ uh, to come back to the victory at Armageddon and then to reign with him uh, along with the tribulation martyrs in his millennial kingdom. Uh, and all six of those promises are literally made to every genuine born-again believer. That's part of your future destiny. And then beyond that, the new heaven, the new earth, uh, the new Jerusalem, the eternal city, uh, and the ultimate uh, experience of the believer uh, in a glorified uh, body, soul, and spirit where there is no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, uh, and we have this glorious relationship with Christ in which we're serving him in the vast universe God has created uh, forever and ever and ever. So the God who made us to have eternal desires within our heart, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes says he set eternity in the heart of man. We're not satisfied with anything less than that which is eternal, and the only guarantee of eternal life, of course, is through Christ who was raised from the dead, and can give us uh, the gift of eternal life. So there are wonderful promises for every born-again believer that we can look forward to, and the promises actually begin with the rapture, uh, when 
those that have died in Christ, the spirits in heaven with the Lord, bodies still in the grave, the dead are raised, reunited with their spirit, we that are alive and remain when he comes are caught up, body, soul, and spirit in a glorified state uh, to be with the Lord forever. That brings up a good question, uh, Dr. Heinsohn. So uh, a Christian who dies today, uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and we, we believe that, and you don't, you don't believe in soul sleep. You go to be in a conscious state with the Lord, but you're not given your glorified body until the rapture. Is that correct? Correct. So people will say to me sometimes, well, if I die and I went to heaven, isn't that good enough? Well, you would be a disembodied spirit forever without your body. So at death, your spirit goes to heaven. Your body's still in the grave and the dust and ashes of time in some cases. Uh, So at the rapture, those dead bodies are resurrected. And the promise of the resurrection of the believer's body is based on the assurance of the resurrection of Jesus' body, that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a literal resurrection. He did not just spiritually ooze out of the grave. Uh, He got up and walked out uh, and was able to say to the disciples, touch me and see that I'm real. And on three occasions, uh, after the resurrection, he actually ate food with the disciples. So there was every reason to believe that was a real body, but it was a glorified body that could appear and then disappear uh, and reappear again. Uh, That glorified body uh, is, again, a picture of the glorified body believers will have when our body is resurrected, reunited with our spirit, and then it only makes sense. Those that are still alive when the Lord comes are automatically then given a glorified body in the rapture so that we that are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, Paul wrote all that originally in the Greek language uh, to the church at Thessalonica, and his word for the rapture in Greek is harpazo, snatched away, caught away. Uh, Again, in modern English, it's like zap, we're out of here to the glory of God. So if you can resurrect a dead body out of a casket, you can certainly rapture a living body right up through the ceiling if necessary, and then we're caught up together with them. Uh, and the entire bride of Christ, uh, past uh, and present, are there together with the Lord and meet the Lord in the air, not on the earth. We meet him in the air to go to the Father's house and then later to return with him to the earth. Okay, so the judgment seat of Christ happens during that time period also, correct? Exactly. So you so, have to go, if the believers go to the judgment seat of Christ and to the marriage, in, in my understanding, you'd have to go up to heaven to do that. So you have to have the rapture first then the judgment seat of Christ, then the marriage, then the return. So, so a person who dies today, they go to be in the presence of the Lord, but they still haven't had their, their one-on-one Bema time with the Lord, correct? Apparently not yet. Now, that right. is all done at one time when the rewards are given uh, and 
at that point, then you're ready for the marriage. Dr. Ed, how about, how does all that work with Old Testament saints? Uh, because they, they don't have a, a glorified body yet. Yeah, the Old Testament saints live and die before the cross. So they're not part of the New Testament church, uh, the New Testament bride of Christ. Uh, and as a result, then, Jesus would say things like, uh, of all the prophets, John the Baptist, who who lived and died before the cross. Uh, he was the greatest of all the prophets, but I tell you that the least among you, his disciples, is greater than him. How could he say that? Because they would be part of the New Testament bride of Christ uh, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Uh, so I would do the Old Testament saints uh, then as the attendants uh, at the wedding, you have that illustration in Matthew 25 where uh, the bridegroom is coming and you have the ten virgins that are supposed to be prepared with the lamps of oil. Well, he's not coming to marry ten women. Uh, there's one bride of Christ, the Church. Uh, the women represent the Old Testament saints who are the attendants at the wedding along with the bride. Uh, and then Jesus also referred to John the Baptist as the friend of the bridegroom, uh, which is the way of saying the best man. So John the Baptist is like the best man at the wedding. He's not part of the bride, and he's not the bridegroom, uh, but he has a significant place. So do these Old Testament believers uh, that will be there as well, but their glorified body uh, has to come later. So during the tri- during the millennial kingdom, all the the um, saints who who all the people that have trusted Christ and are glorified, Old Testament saints and New Testament saints at that point, would populate the kingdom along with human beings that made it through the tribulation. Uh, can you yes. explain that a little bit for us? Yeah, I think that's where Jesus says to the disciples. You know, in the kingdom, you'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc. The Old Testament believers will be there. The New Testament bride of Christ will be there. The uh, tribulation period believers will be there as well, so that you have the entire uh, born-again family of God in glorified bodies in the millennium uh, serving the Lord. Uh, others that have survived the tribulation period in natural bodies then go on into that millennium and apparently continue to populate the millennium because you have that unusual passage in Revelation 20 that at the end of the millennium there is a final revolt when Satan is released. So there has to be a time Satan is bound in the abyss locked down, chained down, lid sealed, cannot get out, cannot deceive the nations. That's obviously not happening right now. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. There's still deception. There's still conflict worldwide that's more obvious today, unfortunately, than ever before. Uh, And we realize uh, the activity of Satan is still very real. His binding in the abyss in the millennial era is still yet to come in the future. 
it has not yet already occurred. Now, sometimes cynical people say, well, do you think there's a real literal chain you could bind the devil with? Well, is there a real literal devil? Is there a real literal abyss? You can't just make the whole thing symbolic, uh, or pretty soon there's no real devil, no real abyss, no real binding of any kind. Obviously, God can bind Satan however he wants to. The chain is simply a picture of how that is accomplished, uh, but during that period of time, he cannot get out to deceive the nations. That tells me that during the millennial era, the Christian message will spread unobstructed throughout the world, uh, that the light of truth will finally go to all the nations, uh, and uh, during that time, every school will virtually be a Christian school, and every hospital a Christian hospital. Christ will be here in person, ruling on David's throne in Jerusalem, uh, but also ruling symbolically with a rod of iron, uh, so that it's a enforced rule uh, by a glorified king who finally comes to fulfill all the promises that were given to the Old Testament prophets of this glorious kingdom on earth in the future. Amen. Well, we have uh, the idea of the rapture when it comes. Dr. Ed, if it came at the end of the tribulation, at the Battle of Armageddon, when the Lord comes back on, a, on the white horse, uh, to me, that has two problems. Number one, what's the purpose? Uh, you would just go up and come back down. And number two, you would have no one, no human being, unglorified believer, to populate the millennial kingdom and Revelation 20 about the devil being released and gathering to himself like the sand of the seashore rebels, that would be impossible, wouldn't it? Exactly. Yeah, and that is one of the problems for a post-tribulational rapture view. You have nobody left to rule over uh, because all the unbelievers were gone and all the believers have taken it to the very end. Well, we're talking to Dr. Ed Heinsen, who is one of the foremost authorities on Bible prophecy. He is the host of the King is Coming television program uh, seen on Daystar Television. And we're having a good time talking about the rapture, what it is, and when it's coming. And the Bible calls that our blessed hope. And so I am looking not for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Son of God to come in the clouds and snatch us away. I hope you're looking for that too. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Real Truth for today. And I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. Don't go away. I just appreciate AFR spreading so much truthful news that helps me to know what's going on in my country and in my world. American Family Radio's Spring share is coming soon. We'll celebrate what God is doing through this ministry and ask you to support our efforts. I just really appreciate the godly perspective and truthfulness that I hear every day. Join us April 19th, 20th, and 21st for share on American Family Radio. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. 
We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. The fastest growing crime in America and across the world is sex trafficking. We're talking about millions of lives every day, even children. Do you know the average age of a child who is trafficked is 12 years old? I know it's not a fun subject to talk about, but God has called the church to take its blinders off and help end this human tragedy. Eight Days of Hope has decided to be a part of that solution. God's opened up a door for us to partner with existing ministries, and that's where we bring skilled volunteers to renovate, rebuild, or remodel facility for survivors to receive the emotional, physical, and spiritual healing they need. If you're skilled in any trade and you want to use your gifts for a greater purpose, please contact us at safehouse at 8daysofhope.com. We would love for you to join us on our next project. For more information about the ministry of 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are talking about the rapture of the church, that special event, that blessed hope where the Lord comes back in the clouds and snatches away his bride. And we believe, as my guest Dr. Ed Heinsohn believes, that that comes about before the tribulation period. Now, Dr. Ed, let me ask you this question. If, if you were to debate you on the timing of the rapture uh, and you were to play devil's advocate, what are the, um, what are the arguments against a pre-tribulation rapture? Okay, it's a good question, Jeff. Let's uh, 
take three. Uh, one, some people will say, well, the Church has always suffered tribulation, uh, trouble, suffering, difficulty, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, uh, so why should there be a rapture to take us out of the tribulation period? Well, they don't understand the nature of the tribulation period. It's not just normal trouble and problem, it's divine wrath, uh, as it's described in the book of Revelation. The seal judgments uh, are the wrath of the Lamb, Christ. Uh, the bowl judgments are the wrath of God the Father. Uh, the Church is not the object of the wrath of God. Uh, she may be the object of the wrath of Satan, or the wrath of man, yes, but not the wrath of God, and certainly not the wrath of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he took the wrath of God against our sins on the cross. Uh, it is in those moments that he cries out to the Father, and then at the end of the crucifixion shouts, It is finished! paid in full. Uh, the wrath has been satisfied, the payment has been made, and Jesus has triumphed. Uh, the suffering of the Church throughout the Church age is suffering under the wrath of men and Satan, but not the wrath of God. The tribulation period in the book of Revelation is a defined period of time, I believe seven years, of divine wrath poured out on the world. Uh, so, therefore, it's not a time when you're trying to purify the bride. Uh, that's like Protestant purgatory, beat up the bride of Christ and then take her to the marriage. I don't think that symbolism works very well. Uh, second argument people use is, well, the whole idea of the term to go out uh, and meet the Lord uh, can be tied to the term parlambano in Greek, where they would clear the road, uh, the citizens of a city would go out and meet the king who was coming for a visit and welcome him back into the city. Uh, and then the argument is, well, that was typically done fairly quickly, therefore maybe the rapture is simply go up, meet the king, come right straight back again uh, instantly. And I think the problem with that is you are allowing no time for the judgment seat of Christ and no time for the marriage of the Lamb. Uh, and you have an instantaneous return before the bride uh, is fully prepared, equipped uh, for the triumphal return, which is then not described in that passage. The rapture passages, it's always up in the air. For the return passages, Christ is coming back to the earth, and the raptured church is coming with him. So we're not as believing in the rapture, abandoning the planet. No, we actually believe we're coming back to the planet uh, to reign with Christ for a thousand years, uh, that God still has a plan and purpose for the planet. Third argument is, people say, well, the idea of the rapture is relatively new. Uh, John Darby came up with this in 1830. Uh, nobody ever heard of the rapture prior to 1830. Uh, there are lots of problems with that argument. Number one, that's not historically correct. Uh, number two, uh, if Paul taught it to the Thessalonians in the first century, that's as old as the New Testament is. Uh, there are other biblical doctrines that were sometimes neglected in church history, like justification by faith that Luther had to rediscover 500 years ago. But uh, in our book, Can We Still Believe in the Rapture?, there's a whole chapter on the history of the rapture doctrine, 
uh, showing examples of people who believed in a pre-tribulational rapture 200 years before Darby, uh, that this was not a brand new idea, uh, that you find this uh, in many of the uh, more obscure Puritan writers, uh, Thomas Drakes, William Sherwin, Increase Mather, Cotton Mather, uh, Philip Dotteridge, and others, etc. We have all listed these in here uh, and several examples of that, etc. Uh, Darby was simply reacting to thinking that was already going on in his day and age. Everybody knew there had to be a rapture. The question was simply, when would it occur? And there were those that were saying it has to occur before the tribulation, before the wrath of God is poured out on the world, uh, and when it is, then the unbelievers will be left behind uh, under uh, the judgment of God uh, during that period of time, etc. Uh, you have uh, even... Uh, a post-millennial uh, believer like Jonathan Edwards, uh, who didn't believe in a pre-trib rapture, but he did believe that ultimately Jesus would return, uh, and when he returned, uh, he would come and uh, bring judgment on the unbelieving world, and the believers would be caught away. Uh, and uh, Edwards literally refers to a time when he is convinced uh, that this experience will take place. Now, he puts it uh, at the very end of time, but he says it this way. Uh, Upon this, Christ, with all of his saints and all the holy angels ministering to them, shall leave this lower world and ascend toward the highest heavens uh, with his elect church with him, glorified in body and soul, and the redeemed church shall ascend with him in joyful and triumphant manner, and all their enemies and persecutors shall be left behind to be consumed. So even Jonathan Edwards admitted had to be a rapture. He simply put the timing of it at the end. So I like to remind people, even if you disagree on the timing, don't go around saying there will never be a rapture. No, there has to be a rapture. You'd have to take First Thessalonians 4, rip it out of the Bible, and throw it away. That's the whole point of the passage. There must be a time the dead are raised and the living are caught up, and that this special promise is for the believers to go to the Father's house. Uh, I think that's why Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 8, uh, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for all those who love his appearing. And you might ask yourself, does my view of the coming of Christ cause me to love his appearing, to anticipate it, to look forward to it? Uh, Am I living uh, my life with an eye on the sky, looking for the Savior to come, but my feet on the earth, doing the job that he's called me to do in the meantime, and I keep the balance? Uh, I have an earthly purpose to fulfill, but I have a heavenly destiny to which he has called me. Well, it seems to me too, Dr. Ed, that uh, if if it's not a pre-tribulation rapture and it was mid-trib or it's post-trib, uh, we'd be able to figure out pretty, pretty confidently when that's coming um, because of the timeline. 
uh, a pre-tribulation rapture, you, you just have to be ready. You don't know when that's coming. Is that the way you understand it? Exactly, and I think that's why Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour of my coming, uh, not even the angels. Uh, that tells me Satan doesn't even know the date of the rapture, because Satan is a fallen angel. So as brilliant as he may be, he can read the Bible, read the newspaper, take a guess. But I've been in the ministry for 50 years. I've heard every kind of crazy guess about <laughs> the date of the rapture, the date of the second coming. It's always wrong. Jesus said nobody knows. In fact, you even have that statement, nobody knows but the Father. Said, well, how could that be if Jesus is God? Yes, Jesus is divine. Jesus has omniscience. He knows all things. But if you look again at that marriage uh, analysis, the father has to authorize the son to go get the bride when the rooms are completed and the preparation has been made in the father's house. So in that sense, only the father knows when the authorization will be given. Obviously, Jesus knows the time. He waits for the authority of the father to send him to get the bride. And the bride is told, be ready, because he could come at any moment, at any time. Uh, otherwise, you'd be looking for the tribulation to begin, and if you got three and a half years in, you'd say, well, I'm halfway, it's got to take place, or the Antichrist has already been revealed. I think Second Thessalonians uh, 2 makes it clear uh, that the Antichrist will not be revealed until after the time of the apostasy and after the restrainer is removed at the rapture. Uh, and uh, therefore, again, like you, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm looking for the upper taker uh, to come and call us home to the Father's house. Uh, and uh, I realize it could happen today. Uh, it could happen next week. It could happen a uh, hundred years from now. But when I look at what is happening today on the world scene, uh, the stage to me appears to be set for the possibility of the rapture uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, Israel had to go back to the land in the last days. She's already there. There has to be a crisis in the Middle East. It already exists. Weapons of mass destruction to literally fulfill the prophecies in Revelation would have to already be invented. Well, they have. Uh, the global economy would already have to exist. It already does. These are like flashing lights that get our attention. Time is moving on. We're closer to the end than ever before. Uh, and therefore, it behooves people to know that you really know the Savior, uh, that you're ready to go, uh, that this is not just about a, an argument, about a viewpoint. This is about personal preparation of your heart and soul uh, that uh, Jesus is coming again, and I need to know that he's coming for me. That is so important. Uh, Dr. Heinsohn, the timing of, the, from, from the, if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, it doesn't say in Scripture anywhere that the tribulation has to begin right on the heels of that. Can there be a, a time gap between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation, the opening of that first seal? Uh, there certainly could be. Now, I don't personally think it'll be very long. Uh, the question was raised, you know, if, if the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel, does the rapture occur instantly as soon as he signs the treaty? 
We don't know that for sure. We know that there will be an attempt by a world leader to control the global economy, to control global peace. Uh, I think we can see what's going on right now internationally, uh, telling us that, oh my goodness, uh, the crisis with Russia and Ukraine has re-erupted, uh, caught people by surprise, etc. cetera. Uh, the crisis is still very real, uh, and uh, the Western nations are scrambling around trying to figure out how do we control this, how do we stop this, how do we bring about global peace. And I think it's fair to pray for peace, work for peace, hope for peace, but at the same time realize ultimately only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can guarantee international peace on a permanent basis. In the meantime, human efforts uh, in the global system will make every attempt to control that system uh, and I think sets the stage for the rapture and sets the stage for the beginning of the tribulation period uh, and then ultimately the Antichrist uh, intervention with Israel in the Middle East. All of that is yet to come. Uh, and in the meantime, we watch, uh, we wait, and we live with anticipation that Jesus is coming soon. Well, that's an exciting thing to, for a Christian to fill his or her mind with. The Lord is coming soon, so be ready. As my father-in-law had a little lapel pin, it was a trumpet with these words, perhaps today, the trumpet may sound today. Dr. Ed Heinsen has been our special guest. Uh, Dr. Heinsen, thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate you greatly, my friend, and I look forward to you coming to First Baptist Texarkana soon. You've been listening to Real Truth for today, and I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. Hey, remember these two words, shine and share. Make a difference. Let the Lord shine through you and open your lips and share what great things the Lord has done for you and how he He has had mercy on you. We'll be with you again tomorrow. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.